Welcome to the Sonder Podcast, where we want to hear your story, a podcast about your life, what you live, what you go through, where everybody has an interesting story to tell. So please sit back and enjoy the ride. This is the Sonder Podcast with Tolu Omoba. I'm here with a good friend of a friend, Miss Jen L. From the from the UK. Go ahead, Jen. Hey guys, how are you? Um, Jen is the host of her own podcast, Let's Chat. So when I post this, I'm probably gonna put a link to that podcast in, in the comments or whatever. So go ahead and check that out. Yes, please do support. So, but today we're going to talk about being black in the UK. Um, so um <laughs> Jen, can you give us give us a little bit about your background and how you went from the U.S. to U.K.? Right, yeah. So um, I'll try to make it as short as possible because I can get a bit long-winded. Um, but um, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. So um, I went to high school there until about 10th grade. I then moved to Houston, Texas um, in finished out my last two years of high school. Um, I then ended up going to an HBCU. Um, I did five years there. Um, and then I found myself working in DC. Um, and I was doing marketing slash PR. Um, I had um, had an experience of doing, my, doing an internship um, during the Cannes Film Festival in France. And funny enough, I felt a bit upset. It was, yeah, I kind of, I felt a bit upset because the year that I was graduating, um, President Barack Obama was my commencement speaker. However, because I changed my major, um, I didn't graduate my year. Um, So I I didn't get to experience the president kind of, you know, doing his thing. However, I was on a plane going to France. Um, for the Cannes Film Festival and when I was there I realized like this is kind of the place I want to be at I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do but I knew being in Europe was where I wanted to be so I had come back from that internship and my last year of uni I spoke to one of my professors and he was basically telling me um, you know what a perfect opportunity for you and I told him all about it. I said, I really would like to go back there. And he said, what's holding you? I said, I don't know. Anyways, I graduated um, and I had gotten a job working with the Department of Defense, doing communications for them. Really enjoyed the role, but I still was looking out to going to Europe. But I still didn't know how to make that segue. However, I spoke to um, my professor again, who ended up becoming my mentor and he basically told me if I wanted to go I should go and I should find a way to get there um and at that time I was looking at grad school um and I applied to Georgetown and I got in and I just said you know what let me cast some stones out um I have family in London what about the UK that'd be a perfect medium um for me and I applied and I got accepted to quite a few and I ended up um packing my bags in 2012 
um, to do grad school, and I have been in the UK ever since. Awesome story. Um, so I was, I'm, I'm going to go back to the U.S. for my first question. So what, in general, and uh, I guess, you know, to sum it up, what was your experience growing up and living and going to school in the U.S.? Like, what did it mean to you? Um, it means a lot as a black kid. Um, and not only that, as an African kid as well, because, you know, there's layers to it. Um, but it's it's a weird one because, um, as I said, I grew up in Boston. And Boston, I didn't really realize, like, my skin color, more to say. Like, I knew I was black. But because it was such a huge African community that I was surrounded by, I didn't necessarily feel that. What I did feel was obviously classism. And I knew like, okay, I had some friends and there were areas around Boston that I knew was very affluential. And I knew I just didn't have, we just didn't have the money like that. And especially when it came to school, like I was being charted out to schools and I would always feel like, okay, I'm, I'm the little black girl on the bus coming over here. While I did great academically, I couldn't necessarily afford, um, you know, some of the things that my friends were doing at school. Um, so I definitely felt that. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Houston that race was drilled into me. And it was funny enough, it was drilled into me by black people. So... While I knew I was black, it was never an issue until I went to Houston, and especially being of a darker complexion. So I remember going to school, and it was like, it was like, oh, that's that dark thing there. Like she's pretty for a dark skinned girl, and that was the first time I ever heard that because in my family, I've all like being darker complexion. I was always called black beauty. Like my mom was fair in complexion while my dad was dark, my, me and my brother was in complexion. But everyone else in my family was kind of like a lighter um, brown complexion. Um, so I always heard dark beauty and it was always in a positive way. And it was only until I got to Texas in the deep south that my skin color was an issue. And it made me feel some type of way. But even then, like I was I was still had boys who liked me, you know, girls never really picked on me. So it wasn't a thing. It was just, OK, I'm a dark skinned black girl. OK, cool. And it wasn't until then it got cemented when I went to, funny enough, an HBCU. And I remember freshman year, I was walking with my roommate who was fair skin at the time. She had really bad cystic acne, like really, really bad. And I remember one guy came up to me and was like, oh, um, yeah, I would talk to you, but you're dark. Um, but if you were lighter, you'd be prayer. And I was, I was absolutely floored. I remember me and my roommate looking at each other and I was like, you're joking. I think this was like three days in. And I was like, hold, the f- hold up. I'm at an HBCU. This is something that I thought I would be experiencing at a PWI, not a historically black college and university. And I remember going back on my dorm floor and I was absolutely in tears. 
And I just remember that night, all the girls on my floor were literally just like, that's mad. Like, you're gorgeous. You're pretty. Like, just uplifting words. And to be fair, I never had that experience again on campus ever. But I think because that was something that I had experienced in high school and then to leave high school to meet that in college, especially early days, I was just a bit, I was just a bit floored, really. So I think in a way, my experience is, is kind of similar. It might be similar to a lot of Black girls. Um, I didn't really realize my race and the impact of my color until obviously I was a bit older. Well, that's actually pretty good because I know, I, know, I know a lot of, um, I know a lot of Black girls, especially in the D.C. area, who experienced that much younger and much more often. Mm. But, but um, wow. So let me, let me kind of segue into the next question. What is your general experience living in the UK? You know, just the general, the general vibe. I have to, I have to breathe heavy because obviously with everything that's going on right now, um, with the George Floyd killing and obviously the protest, um, across the U.S. and globally, and even here in the U.K., it's really, um, it's really tense. And the thing is about living in the U.K., so living, the U.K. in itself is, while it's small, it's different in comparison. So when everyone thinks the U.K., a lot of people think London, and London is the most racially diverse place you would get in the U.K., now, there's some areas outside of London that have kind of the same diversity. So you have, you know, Manchester, you have Leeds, you'll have Birmingham, you have Nottingham, um, you have Sheffield, you have these areas that are concentrated with BAME. So Black, Africans and Asians um, who kind of congregate in these areas. However, outside of those kind of six cities that I mentioned is very white. <laughs> and um, you will meet a lot of microaggressions. So while there's not a lot of, you know, very in-your-face direct forms of racism, you will get the microaggressions, you will get all of these different things. And I think the only difference of the UK is that there wasn't slavery. However... There has been a massive scandal over the years with the Windrush, which is basically um, in the 1960s, um, the UK asked people from the Caribbean to come to the UK to work on the basis of getting citizenship. And they basically reneged on that. Um, so there's a lot of tension here um, when it comes to race. Um but my experience has never, I've never gotten, um, I never felt like I wasn't a part or I never felt that my race was hindering me in a former sense of way until I got into the workplace. Okay. And I think that's where you would see a lot of that microaggression play out. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So what would you say is the major or one main difference between the U.S. and the U.K.? Um, I think it probably might be 
Um, and I think obviously it's, it all depends on location as well. In London, for sure, um, everyone kind of gets along. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone has their ends. Like everyone kind of has grown up to understand and experience different cultural differences. So where it is heavily segregated in the state, if you are lucky enough to live in those areas that I just mentioned, those six cities, um, yeah, you you wouldn't necessarily know it's a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you might have um, some elders who still hold some of those racist views, but especially with the generation that are I'm a part of, and even the younger generation, everyone kind of comes together. Race is not a thing. Race is not a thing because they've grown up to, you know, from from youth to all the way to big old age. Like they've grown up together. While in the U.S., it depends, you know, on where you are living, uh, the zoning of your school, all of these different factors. Um, helping kind of segregating races and some people don't even get to in, intertwine with different races until you know high school and even then they're probably not in them friendship groups and even in college there's a lot of segregation there's a lot of keeping you know amongst you know your familiar so interesting. I think that's different interesting interesting let's yeah even me um, I grew up in a predominantly black county in the suburbs of dc so i i i I encountered white people in school at different points of my life but it was majority i'll say 95 percent black where i grew up and even then there was still like a lack of cultural knowledge about africans and caribbeans and and stuff like that but that's a whole can That's I, a whole nother. No, no, I, I completely, sorry to cut you off, but do you remember, I and mean, I don't know if it was me, but do you remember, like, obviously, now it's cool to be African, right? Like, it's right. cool to be African. I remember back in the day, and I probably didn't mention this, so you just kind of reminded me, but I remember back in the day, especially, like, middle school, it was such a good thing to be Haitian. Um, it was so cool to be from Jamaica, like, Everyone was claiming places that they know they weren't from. No, they weren't from. Nobody really, well, I can't speak for everyone, but like I know in certain schools I went to, and I know these kids were African. Like I saw you at the church, at them parties, like you are Nigerian. Like there's nothing else about you. And bare people were clocking, like, yeah, I'm Haitian, I'm Jamaican, I'm this and I'm that, because that was a cool thing to do. Nobody wanted to be African at all. Yeah, uh, we experienced that too, but not necessarily Caribbean. Like, a lot of people that I knew would anglicize their name. So yeah. if their name was, was Wale, yeah. his name was Wale. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> or if his name was Sean, oh, my name is Sean. Oh, you know? no. Or if my name is Timmy, oh, my name is Tim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to not to throw not to throw out there, but I mean yeah. that's a lot. It's just my name is Tolu, so I was like, I couldn't, I can't anglicize that. Yeah, but, <laughs> I, know, but I didn't try. Yeah, I didn't try though. But I mean, I I didn't. I, I was never a cool kid amongst the blacks, so I never tried to. 
anglicized my name but no i felt like there was a lot of pressure a lot of pressure to be something that you weren't and the funny thing is like even though you were black within that blackness you couldn't truly be who you wanted to be because it was just the level of of not being accepted a lot of people were trying to remove themselves from their blackness yes yes a lot of yeah. That, yeah, a lot of that had to do with what we were seeing on TV, what we were hearing, and trying to be closer and fit in because we realized who we were wasn't wasn't going to be accommodated for. We could not just be our authentic selves. We had to be something else. Um, and I think in the UK, actually, to to be fair, for me, I've always been myself. Um, in whatever setting, I think here, the more that I, I think what, like most of my differences, especially in the workplace, is the more that I was myself, the more I was met with roadblocks mm. from my white counterparts, pr- more so females than males, which I yeah. find really interesting. I've had a lot of white male allies that I had females and the females that I did have some were in places of power to do anything to help me. Um, but yeah, so the more, can I, can I, can I stop you though? Can I stop you? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to ask that question a little bit later about the workplace. Okay. But I mean, but I I will say that, um, well, let me lead into my next question. Okay. So we talked about, your identity in the U.S. Yeah. But what does black or being black in the U.K. mean? And do you think it means the same thing as being black in the U.S.? I think it does because the fight and the struggle is the same. And especially when it comes to what's been happening recently now in the news, it's even more apparent that is the same. The accent might be different. The way we say things might be different, but it's the same. Do you know what I mean? So I don't really see any differences other than you live in two different, you know, locations. That honestly, that is it. Because do you deal with racism? Yes. Do you deal with some of the same treatment that you get in the States when it comes to police? Yes. They just did a whole report here that three three times more likely to be stopped by police and frisk Blacks. Um, They talked about the health disparities here about due to social economic status, due to um, unconscious bias, uh, racial bias, um, and even playing down racism. You know, Black women are more likely to die um, during uh, childbirth here, um, inequality of same services, um, lower paying jobs, um, unlike their white counterparts. It's reeling kind of the same statistics and facts that we hear in the States. There's absolutely nothing different, if I'm going to be completely honest. And that's the worrying thing, 
because people think, oh, it must be different here. Now, there's certain areas that, you know, you might benefit from, but that benefit may just be excluded to you and not the wider group. Do you know what I mean? So you might think, oh, okay, well, I never had to interact with the police like that. And I never, you know, experienced blatant racism here. But, okay, that might be your experience. Okay, go and ask such and such down the road in your ends. Is it the same thing? And he might have a completely different story about his experience with police, about his experience in the workplace, about his experience with, you know, the council or his GP or whatever, So unfortunately, as I would, you know, as I would like to say is different is not we're facing different battles, but under the same kind of headline. Wow. Okay. That was actually going to be my next question was I was going to ask, do you experience racism in the UK? Did you did you experience racism in the US? And was it different in any way? But you kind of touched that. You said it's the same. Yeah. So I, okay. So let me, so let me just make it personal for me. So my personal experiences with racism. So let me just start from the UK and then I'll I'll work myself back to the US. So in the UK, as I said, quite a lot of um, racism I've received is more microaggression in the workplace. Um, Being a black woman being a woman who understands, is confident. Um, I am articulate in terms of, you know, what I need to do in the workplace and how things need to be done. Um, Obviously, I have two degrees, so I'm well qualified for a lot of the roles and responsibilities that I've had. Um, I am in good physical shape. I think I'm attractive. All of these things that should be positives in the eyes of white women in the workplace, it's it's a threat. And it's something that you have to navigate. They want you to fit this narrative. They want, if you are the black woman, you cannot be threatening in any shape or form. I, I remember I started, I remembered the first job that um, I got, um, I had to test out for it, right? And I've always been really good at um, English and writing and stuff like that. And I aced it. I absolutely aced it. How did I know that? I got actually, you know, uh, accepted for the job two weeks into the job two weeks into the job um I was supposed to write a press release this girl basically the the girl i.e my line manager basically came and told me that I didn't know how to write I said you're talking to a print journalism major you're talking to someone who has a master in strategic marketing who's done PR who's written loads of press releases before I know how to write. I'm not going to write like you because I'm not you. And I literally had to go to her boss and say, she wants me to be her and I cannot be her. You did not hire another, uh, let's call her Karen. You hired me. And literally after I literally stood up for myself, I kept getting meetings. Jennifer, 
um, is everything okay? You look a bit solemn. You look a bit quiet. You look a bit um, in a mood. And I said, I'm fine. Oh, I didn't know that I had to smile every day. Oh, is it that thing called rusting bitch face? Is that what you have? And I said, said that? Yes. And I so said, <laughs> yes. I literally was like, oh, fuck. That day, that day I decided that that was the end of my, my time there. I was not going to put up with that. And I thought that, okay, that maybe this was a one-off. No. Every place that I had gone into, I had met Karens bigger and badder. <laughs> and can we call them? Can we call them Catherine? That's more. That's, that seems more British. Catherine. Instead of Karen. Oh Catherine's. yeah, I, I met Catherine, who were bigger and badder, and I always found myself being the only person of color in my department, and even in the whole office. So not only did I have to represent myself, I felt like I had to represent every thought that they had of a black woman. And I remember I would come in to work and I would always be like, oh, Jennifer, you look nice. And they would look me up and down what I was wearing. And I always made an effort that even if I had a shit day, even if I had to talk to myself for 20 minutes before I had to physically get up to go to work, they will never see what I'm feeling on the outside because they feed off of that. They feed off of knowing that, you know, they can break you down. And the funny thing is I had to deep it. I really had to deep it because I just thought like, okay, it's, it's a me thing. There must be some spirit of rejection over me. And I just thought, no, this is not a you. It's a them thing. Because even in the workplace, as funny and as quiet as it's kept, they don't even like each other. White women are very competitive. They are very bitchy. And they're very bitchy towards each other. But they, they, they know how to unify themselves when there's another and an other is someone who doesn't look like them and they deem a threat. Oh, they're happy to, you know, gang up and be buddy-buddy, that kind of fake love kind of tip. So I realized, like, okay, at the end of the day, Jennifer, whether or not you feel in some type of way, you're here. You deserve your place here. And nobody should make you feel any different. Now, in this state, I didn't necessarily experience that in the workplace. I only had one white woman. I've always got along with my coworkers. And the funny thing is, I never really had an issue here with any higher ups. I never had an issue with my boss, really. Always my coworkers, so people who were kind of on the same playing field as me. But in the US, I had an issue. I remember my first job when I was working for a nonprofit. And they hired me. And within the two weeks, I had done such a great job that my boss was questioning the woman who had just been promoted from my position and asked what she was doing and why it took me so quick to get the results. 
and she's been there for two years. Mind you, she was getting paid maybe about 20K more than me. That's when I knew that, um, and mind you, she was a person of color, so she wasn't even white, but she was on a full-out attack against me. And I lost my job because of her. I remember that day I had, um, it was my friend's, not my friend's, but my cousin's wedding in Philadelphia. And I remember something in my spirit, I was so against going and and putting out um, a holiday leave for it. And um, everyone in my family was like, come, go, go, go. We're all going to be there. We're all going to be there. So I did. I told my um, I told my boss like I have a wedding and um, I want to take these days off. And they said, yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine. I came back that Monday and I was on a pip. I came back that Monday and I was on a pip. And I sat to myself and I thought, the fuck. And she was there, and she was like, oh, you need to do X, Y, and Z. She literally, I remember I did not do one thing. I was supposed to like send out six messages and I ended up sending up five. She was on it. And it got to the point where my boss, who was also her boss, saw what was happening. She said, I can't save you, Jennifer, because I'm going to sit down and tell you what's happening. So she took me out and this is in DC. So she took me out to the Hamilton and we sat there and she basically said, listen, I'm just going to tell you what it is. They're going to use, you know, kind of you not kind of sticking to the pip as they want to, as a way to get you out of here. However, if you want to work for um, the U.S. Senate, I worked there before. I can get you in there. If not, I can write you a good letter of recommendation. Um, But just anything you need, um, I'll support you. Not a problem. And I said, why is this happening to me? And she just said, she feels threatened by you. And she actually didn't want me to hire you. She wanted me to hire her friend. And I said, really? And she said, I'm so sorry about this. But to be fair, it ended up working out in my favor because her letter of recommendation I used um, to get me to grad school. And she went above and beyond for me for that. So... That was my only experience. I never was called the N-word at school, thankfully. Um, I never had any um, real outward, blatant, racist thing happen to me. It was just always in terms of being deemed as a threat. People just felt some type of way. And I always realized it was white women. They were just always threatened by something and it just never occurred to me that my skin color had anything to do with it wow that's a lot that's uh that was a lot because and it hit me close to home because something like that happened to me last year now pip can you describe what a pip is i know what it is but can you describe it for people who don't work in the government arena or the dc arena so a PIP is basically a performance improvement plan. So basically your employee, this is the way to get you out, a very systematic way to get you out. Instead of just firing you, 
they decide that there's something that is happening within your performance that needs to be regulated and there's a document and you have to do this to the T. It is very hard for you to work your way out of a PIP, FYI, okay? Right. Um, it's very hard. And sometimes it's just them moving the goalpost. Um, but basically, it's just a performance improvement plan. And they put a set of requirements that you need to do for you to get out of this PIP. And your PIP can last however many days, months that they've decided. Um, and my PIP was for two months. So can you imagine for 60 days, you had to do everything in entirety on this PIP. If you did not, if well, if you did one thing, off the list or if you didn't do into full completion or whatever it was automatic resonation automatic um yeah no so this the same thing happened to me so i was a comptroller for a security company two years two years ago um but i left that and i entered into the government so and I and I, I explain this because there's a certain degree of work and there's a certain level of work you do when you work in the private sector, i.e. being a comptroller, to yeah. uh, the amount of work you do when you work for the government. Yeah. So I got a government job and within the first couple of months, I, they, I wasn't given much work. So what I was given, mm-hmm. I got done. And I noticed that the environment was much different. And I noticed that my supervisor... Um, was she, she's older, probably in her uh, late sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, her method of working was a bit different than mine. You know, I was a fast, fast, go, go, go. You know, spreadsheets. You know, calculations. The quicker and easier way type of do things, and they're more of the, you know, laid back, take your time type type um, of performer. Mm-hmm. But long story short. I didn't have much work. It was the work was completely not difficult. And three or four months in, I was told that I was doing a horrible job. <laughs> you know? Wow. But no, but the cat the funny thing is that every day it's like, oh, thank you, sweetie. You this, this is good. Oh, hey, sweetie, thank you. Like, are you sure this is fine? No, this is perfect. It's so passive, that passive aggressiveness. Right, but it's, it's like <sighs> But it was like every no, but the thing is with every day it was you're doing okay, you're doing well. Oh yeah. So it's like you're doing okay, you're doing well. So then it's like you're walking down the street for like a couple of weeks, and then one day you walk and then somebody just punches you in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's blindsiding you because they right. can't necessarily give you a, a concrete reason because that gives you time to prepare, right? Right. And they don't want that. They want to blindside you. And, and they will pacify you in terms of saying that you're doing well. And then when you're not doing well, they don't communicate that to you until you get to, i.e., a PIP. And then you go and actually say, well, listen, you know, like, I've never gotten communicated that before or this never was an issue. And they gaslight you and they do all these other things to make you feel as if, you know, they're right and it's not and it's not right and I think being black in the workplace is really hard because there's a fine line that you have to deal with and it's you can't be the aggressor (laughs) you can't be um you know too confident because uh then you're a threat 
They right. can't say, oh, well, you know, he's he's working so quickly, he's gone through it. Oh, instead of that being looked at as a positive thing is, oh, he must be skipping or he must be, you know, you know, um, going around the edges and, and all of these things because they can't necessarily just say he's doing a good job right. and there's something wrong with me or I need to step my game up. Oh, no. Or I've been here for 30 years. I've been kind of just getting by doing the bare minimum. Yeah. And this this person is way more qualified than me. He's a lot younger, a lot more efficient. And yeah. it, basically, he's going to make me look bad. So I got to find a way to make him look bad or make her look bad. Exactly. So in my case, it wasn't even because most of the people in my office are black. I think it's a generational thing, really. Because mm. you, know, you come in with your master's degree and your, your skills, and they might have been there since they were 15. So, oh, yeah. Oh, I, the job that I work in now, a lot of people have literally been there since they were like 15, 17. Right. So then that's where that's where I find a lot of the intimidation comes from. Oh, yeah. You're highly qualified, highly achieving. And they're basically just getting by because they've been there for a long time. So they're, they're, they are really terrified of your skills. But I don't want to harp on that for too long. Yeah. Uh, um. But yeah, I just wanted to say that your story reminded me of my story, but my story ended differently because I'm still working there. And oh, and because wow. I mean, because it was just ridiculous. So I'll, and I'll end that maybe in, maybe in another podcast, I'll get into that. Yeah, I think you should. But, you know, well done for you for sticking it out. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, the work is so much. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, did I ask this right? Okay. Um, in the UK, in the yeah. UK, how do Black people relate to each other? Oh, it's love. It's love. You know what I mean? Like, I can't explain it because it, it just reminds me. Yeah. No, so it's, it's really hard, though, because it's like, it's like, have you ever been to, like, an African party? Yes, yes. You don't need to know people, but you just instantly feel like, okay, like I'm home. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yes, exactly. It, it, it's very much like that. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, just like, I don't want to spin the narrative, like, because, you know, we're all black. We all get along. No, that's not the case because you always have like, you know, them dramas and them pettiness and, you know, people are ops and stuff like that. But majority of the time it's love. It's absolutely love. Because at the end of the day, there's just some mutual shared um, experiences that you have. Like, I remember I started a job and I literally, there was this um, black girl who started maybe about, she got employed maybe about a year and a half after I had been at this job, being the only black woman. I'm telling you now, I don't know nothing about this girl, but it was instant. And to this day... We are friends. Like she's like seen my little one. She's had a baby now, and you know I've seen her little one, and and you know we spend time together, and that has literally become my sister friend. And I did not know her from a can of paint. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's always it's always love. It's good to be, especially when you're in white spaces a lot of the time. Is really good when you see a black face. Um, and a lot of the times, a lot of, you know, the blacks here are African and from the Caribbean. So it's the same thing like in the States. 
there's nothing really different. Now, you know, there might be some some people that said, I don't I don't fuck with her or I don't like him and I don't like her. And you will get that every and anywhere. But most of the time it's it's love. It is. We have we have to have that love. We have to have a sense of community. And that's the thing about the UK is I didn't feel like I had I missed a step because that sense of community is here. If I want to go to African party, Piam is here. If I want to go, you know, and and go and experience, you know, um Caribbean festival is here. Like everything is here. So I honestly believe that wherever black people go, we will find our own. Right. I, cool. And I, I do want to point out that's that's how I feel within the African community in the US. I don't necessarily feel that way with the black community all the time. Mm-hmm. But in the African community, if I go to a party, hey, that's my that's my bros, that's my brother right there, you know. You know, that's, yeah, that's my sister, you know, all that stuff. And I do feel that in certain black spaces in the US, but there's certain mm-hmm. but there but there I, I, let me say this the black community in the United States is a unique community because I agree. you cannot separate the black community in the US from the United States. Mm. They are one and they they the United States and the black community will forever be woven into the history of the United States. Yeah. But yeah. That, that being said, you know, in the UK, I'm African, but I'm black. Or I'm mm. Caribbean, but I'm black. It's not like the UK doesn't have its version of African Americans. Well, no, they do. So it's like I'm a black Brit. So unlike the census form, whatever, they're like, I'm a black Brit. And then your black Brit is defined by, you know, African or Caribbean, a lot of the times it's going to be primarily Caribbean because you have to understand with the wind rush. So wind rush is basically, as I said before, is when in the 1960s, obviously, because, you know, Britain colonized every fucking where, but they went back to the Caribbean and they needed help rebuilding the economy here and rebuilding the UK. So kind of like, you know, slavery, where you use black people. Right. Um, and ethnic minorities to build up your country. They did the same thing here. And they supposedly had given them instant citizenship. So Caribbeans were basically who were Africans anyways, form and formulated what we now know as Black British. And obviously when you have the African immigrants on top who also came in in their own different ways, They've also felt into that category, but they're now Afro or African Brits. So it's it's like that. So everyone who's been born here, they're Black Brit. And that's how it's on the census sheet. And that's how people see people here. However, you can then see the distinguishing when they say, no, I'm actually from the Caribbean or I'm actually from Africa. Right. Okay. So I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that. That, yeah because I don't know the dynamics between the blacks and the, and the UK. I've, yeah. I've always thought that there's no, the blacks, the, the blacks in the U S are unique because the blacks in the U S derive their identity. And I guess their who they are from being in the U S whereas mm-hmm. in the UK, the yes, they're black Brits, but hey, but no, I'm Caribbean. I'm, yeah. I'm from Guyana. I'm from Nigeria. I'm from Jamaica. St. Kitts. 
but yeah, I yeah. but I take that though, so I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, but the the but the thing is, the blacks in the U.S., in my opinion, have gone through an experience that is unique that I don't think we blacks in who are African in the U.S. or Caribbean in the U.S. or the blacks in the U.K. have the same experience. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and no one's denying that, and I don't think anyone will ever deny that. So, um, yeah. So, so when I relate to my 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 black counterparts, I have to understand that there's a history and there's a um, you know, a generational thing that I may not be able to relate to. So I I have to. So when I if I don't feel close to them like I do with my African brethren or my Caribbean brethren, I understand mm-hmm. that there's something there that they sometimes don't think that I've gone through what they've gone through. Or, well, why do, you, why do you think that you won't feel close to them? Like, what stops that closeness or that kind of forming that bond? No, I don't. I don't. Well, let me not lie. Let me, let me be 100%. I, I want to say that I'm not the one who creates that barrier, but for the simple fact that I'm talking about it, there has to be a, a you have to be, there has to be a degree of accepting of your part, right? Mm, yeah. But, but I will say that that barrier was created, honestly, from my perspective, by African Americans, because I was, you know, if we're the same, there will be no need to let me know that I'm African growing up, right? Mm. They should, you know, we should all just be the same. You know, there shouldn't be no distinction, like, oh, you African, you African, you this, you that. Like, no, yeah, I, you, know, you get what I'm saying. No, I, I completely get it. But if you look at it historically, and it's kind of that, as I said before trying to remove yourself from any form of blackness because being black in itself was bad, right? So black people didn't even want to be black. They wanted to be furthest removed. Then you now have someone who's from Africa, homeland, you you black, black. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, you're from the States, you're not black, but that kind of mentality, like there's no question about your blackness. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because you are from Africa, where a lot of the people, you have to remember, like, back in the day, like, a lot of Black Americans, like, if they were distinguishably lighter in complexion, um, it, there was this whole narrative of, oh, my granddad or my grandma is one-fourth Cherokee and always some assimilation to being Native American and not wanting to own being 100% Black, right? Because of Jim Crow and slavery and the treatments of Black. So it was a lot of this anti-Blackness behavior that was perpetuated, especially amongst Blacks towards African-Americans, period, right? right? And especially when we had the very distinguishable phenotypes. So, you know, the facial features, right. you know, West African, you know, we had the broad nose and, and the lips and the cheekbones and everything that just shouted black. Right. <laughs> where at a time where black people did not want to highlight those things. I mean, now it's fashionable. Now it's in trend. People are paying good money for it. And Afrobeats are streaming and everyone's like, rah, 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 we're all black, we're all cool. But we just need to know and remember at that time when all of this was happening in our youth, there was a whole lot of anti-blackness between black people and Africans. And that's why it was so 
huge on how ah, you don't want to be a kata and da, 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 because we, if we have to look at it both ways, th- that kind of not hatred but disdain for one another was perpetuated on both sides. I mean, I remember you know growing up, it was bad to want to be like a black American. All the negative stereotypes that I was hearing within my own family. Yep. So, you know, it was it, it was both sided. So I can't necessarily, you know, say like, yeah, it was all, you know, black Americans, because if African us Africans, ah, <laughs> to be a kata, hey, that yeah. was an influence. Yeah, it was um it was not uh it was frowned upon to 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 act like a stereotypical African American. So I say stereotypical because mm-hmm. you know all black people don't act the same. That's one thing that people don't get. A lot of times, True. Um, True. but it's like you read my mind, like you are a psychic. Because my next question was that to me, in the U.S., mm-hmm. I find that there is an affinity to be closer to white and, like you said, Native American in the black community. And I was going to ask, do you see that same affinity in the U.K.? That's a hard one, you know, because the, the general answer is no. Um, because there's a lot of pride in being black. What I do, and what I've heard, because I haven't necessarily experienced it on my own, is once again in the workplace. And I feel like in the workplace, people change up so quickly because that's their livelihoods. So what people will normally not do, because they're in a workplace, you know, they're kind of keen on acting out and acting in ways that necessarily is not like them. Um, so I've heard stories of, you know, people, kind of Black people doing, you know, kind of bullying on another Black person that they see is not kind of accepted by the whites or the others and distancing themselves or, you know, actually, you know, playing a part in in making that other person feel as if they're not accepted because they want that white acceptance. So I've, I necessarily see that more so in the workplace, but just out and about, no, people are proud. Like here people are proud to be like, I am black British, but I'm from such and such. Like I'm Congolese. I'm from Nigeria. I'm from Ghana. I'm from Jamaica. I'm from Barbados. I'm from St. Vincent's. I'm from all these other places. And it's received really well. That's, that's actually good to hear. Like, I, li- I would have loved to grow up in a place like that. Mm. Um, but, but to be fair, though, like, I've spoken to quite a lot of my um, friends who grew up here. And the same, that's what I said. It's while we think it's like different and stuff like that, we have to understand the mentality. People are like that now, but people were still facing kind of the same things that we faced in the UK. Back oh. then as well. Okay. I mean, in the U.S. So in the younger days, there were some people who were very much trying to be far removed from their blackness, and I don't think that that story and that narrative would change. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So, so, in in essence, it, it is the same in some ways. Yeah. So in essence, I think it's just in the times that we are now. So the youth are growing up in this time now. Like, yeah, it's good to be black. But remember back in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't for us growing up. So you just have to look at the time period as well. Um, but a lot of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, um, 
you know, now it's like, wow, like, yeah, I'm black. I'm Nigerian. I'm proud. Like that, that to me is what makes me different from you law. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So, okay. Sticking with the, your work experience, the (laughs) job market, how is the job market in the UK and how is the quality of life in the UK versus the US, the job market itself and the quality of life. So, yeah. So the job market, um, it all depends on what sector you're in, to be completely honest with you. Um, there's job. There's always jobs, right? There's always jobs. Don't necessarily mean that there's a job in what you're doing, but there's always jobs, right? Um, so it all, honestly, all depends on what you're doing um, and where you are in the UK, honestly. When it comes to areas like London and like these kind of big metropolitan cities, like you will always find jobs. It may not be the best job, but you'll find a job. And sometimes you might find like a job that you really like and you're competing with, like 200, 250 people. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. If it's a, one of them really competitive jobs. Um, but there is jobs. It's just, it depends. It honestly depends on where you live. Now, if you don't live in London, if you don't live in one of these big cities, or if you live like outside of London and you feel like, okay, is there any jobs around where I live? You probably won't get that. You probably will have to commute into London like most people have to do, right. which then pulls into your quality of life. So it then goes into, okay, well, there is a job. Okay, but how much is this job paying, actually? Because some of these jobs are absolutely taking the piss. Like Some of these jobs are like, they want X amount of experience and they want this and that, and then they're paying you 40K. What is 40K? Especially if you have to commute into London on tube, do you know what I mean? Which is about 350, 400 pounds a month. That's nothing on top of rent and everything else. So some of these jobs, they're taking the piss when it comes to how much money they're paying. But then if you look at quality of life, if you are a um, you know, if you are born in the UK or you have rights to the NHS, you don't have to worry about paying anything in terms of healthcare, which is amazing. Like, can you imagine just going into doctors and then coming out? You could be in hospital for two weeks. You can get massive surgery. You can do whatever and know that you ain't got to pay for it. Like, sure. you just coming out. Like, I, I have, so I have a little one. And I was in hospital for two weeks before I even had her because I had really high blood pressure that just shot up at the last, like my, the last week of my pregnancy. And um, they wanted to induce me and I had a failed induced labor, which then caused complications after I had her. So I was in hospital for two weeks. And then... Could you imagine if that happened to me in the States, the bill that I would have had, irregardless of whatever insurance I had, I literally walked out and I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about it. And that's a massive relief Um, for a lot of people. Like I could just go in and I'm just like, okay, the only thing I really have to pay for is 
the dentist and even then that's that's conditional that's not even a lot of money if you really think about it um so when it comes to that like that's you know that's that's amazing um and then when it comes to cost of living it all honestly all depends on where you live I mean I think that's in the states as well it all depends on where you live but when it comes to what I do in comparison to my kind of cost of living I think I'm a lot better if I'm honestly if I'm gonna keep it 100 I prefer living in the UK than living in the states like I don't even care if I was six six stacks in the states I think the quality of life in the UK is still a lot better in terms of people in terms of kind of British living in the sense of there's something about being British here right there's this passive aggressiveness right that turns into I don't even know how to define it really because it's this whole stiff upper lip like you know we're British we don't complain we don't really say what we think we just go on about things and you know what I mean like it is what it is um and even if you got dickheads at your job like you can still go out to the countryside you can still go out with your mates you can go on holiday so like um it's encouraged to actually take a vacation um 26 to 28 days out of the week Um, it's not out of the week out of the year you can get to go on holiday and there's no there's no repercussions on doing so hold on you said 28 days yeah that's like my math is that's like eight weeks nine weeks no no that's like I'm sorry, six weeks. Yeah, six weeks. That's... And then on top of that, you can pay for more days if you want. Um, and that's not including um, bank holidays. So, like, you know, your standard, like, Memorial Day and Christmas and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, it, it's it's... The work-life balance here is so much better. And the fact is that because of location, um, you can literally take a city break. Like you can be, you can be on a plane, so you can leave work on a Friday or take a Friday off, yeah, and go to, I don't know, Ibiza in Spain, or go to Cologne, or go to Budapest, or go to somewhere and then come back Monday or come back Sunday night. So the option for you to kind of get away, take a break, and then come back is massively encouraged. So, here, so here, here's something about America that really pisses me off. And I want to know if it's the same in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. America is really, really big on making sure you work your full eight hours. They don't want you to come in five minutes late. They want you to come in five minutes early. They don't want you to leave five minutes early. They want you to stay after, you know, America is really big on getting you to work your time. And, and, and in accounting, what I find is even if you don't have work, they want, they want to know that you're there working, working. sitting in your chair every day because they feel like they're wasting money if you're not. Mm. So is, that, is, it, is it that same attitude in the UK? It, I think it goes down into 
the sector that you're working in. So I can't say like, and you know, finance and how that's going to be. But I think, I think the sentiment is here is that because we kind of get some of these perks, right. In terms of obviously the long vacation days, um, flexi time coming in to work. So, you know, you don't have to be at work at half eight. You can come into work at nine, you can come into work at half nine, 10 o'clock. Um, people are more, are more readily and happy to put in overtime or to to go above and beyond. Right. So my boss is not going to clock me like because I have a I have a little girl who is in nursery. I come into work around nine thirty, and I can leave at five thirty six o'clock. No one's punching the clock on me. At all, no one's like, okay, what? Where's Jennifer at her desk? No one from upper management is doing that. You know who's doing that? Your coworkers, your co-workers. exactly. Exactly. Your coworkers are clocking the hell out of you. They're the main ones clocking you. Upper management don't care. Listen, you come here, you do something. I have a project. As long as I meet my deadline, I'm good. As long as I have a meeting and I don't make my boss look stupid or I look stupid, I'm good. It's your coworkers. I'm telling you, they be watching you, maybe clocking you. And they, they're so bothered about what you're doing and what time you came in and da-da-da-da than anything else. So on that front, is, is there's no difference. But in terms of upper management and things like that, no, because there's, a, there's flexibility. But as I said, it all depends on, you know, your sector and where you're working in. Okay. That's fair. So I was watching a video with some guy named Akala. He's from the, from the UK. I guess he's like a popular civil rights person. Mm-hmm. Is he, is he um, fair skin and has dress? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he, he said there's no... When he came to the U.S., he was surprised to see a middle class for blacks in certain mm. in certain places. Yeah, like even me where I grew up. I grew up in Prince George's County. Prince George's mm. County is widely considered as one of the biggest black middle classes. Yeah. So he said that there are no black middle classes in the U.K. Do you, is that true? I have to agree to a certain extent because you might have areas like PG County, right? There's not. There's not places like that here in the UK. Like you can't go and be like, oh yeah, this is where all the affluent um or you know well paid black people are. Nah. A lot of lot of black people, yeah. Um are on council estates. Um or if they or you know they have their own flat or they're roommating or if they do have their own place. Um it's few far in between. So yeah, I have to agree to that. But that's not to say that black people aren't making money, but in terms of having a defined middle class, nah, definitely not. But it seems like the quality of life and the the services provided are so great that they don't mind just renting and, you know, moving around and stuff. I mean, listen, everyone wants to do better, right? Everyone wants to do better. And I think if these kind of benefits, such as, you know, not having national health care, if that was in place, a lot of people would be crippled right now. Even some of these white middle class people will be crippled. If people had to pay 
for using the NHS, it would be crippled. People would, they would, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to afford it because the cost of living. So, like for instance, if you're lucky to live in London because London's quite expensive, you might see the job pay reflect that. Sometimes they take the piss where they just underpay you. You think, you know what? Is uh, actually taking this job is going to be at a detriment to myself. Hmm. Now taking this pay in another area, oh, I might be living the life, you know. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it all as I said, it all depends on where you live. It honestly it all depends on where you live because even certain areas have certain pay. Like, you know, you can live in an area where your rent, you know, like say for instance, rent in the UK, depending on where you live, can go anywhere from fifteen hundred to four thousand pounds. That's rent. That's not even, you know, mortgage. But then if you go, you know, to up north, say, you know, Yorkshire area, you know, you can be getting rent for 500 to 850 pounds. That could even be a mortgage. But the quality of pay there in terms of job, you know, might be 26,000 pounds in comparison to London for the same role could be like 50,000. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. But if you want 26000 and you don't have a lot of bills to pay, the only thing that you have to really pay out is your mortgage, fam, like, you're living the life, right? Right. Because you don't have to worry about other expenses, really. Like, you don't have to worry about a medical bill. And, you know, you can go on holiday. You can save up. And you can do all this different stuff. That's cool. Okay, okay. I think I only have, like, two more questions. All right. Go ahead. But this has been interesting so far. Um, is there a place you have visited that you have had a better experience than you have had in the U.S. or the U.K.? A place that I've had a better experience. Uh, no. Okay. We would, we'd have to stay. I, no. Because I'm always, I'm always, I'm always aware of my blackness, even if I'm not thinking about it. Something or someone will remind me of my blackness in a positive or negative way. You know, maybe in Nigeria <laughs> where we're all black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sadly, okay. Um, dating in the UK. Did you have more? <laughs> Did you have more difficulty dating in the UK versus the US? Is is it harder for for black women in the UK versus the US? Now, I'm going to only speak on my experience. I can't speak on everyone else. I never had a problem dating in the US or in the UK, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, funny enough, I didn't even date while I was in um, college because I had a boyfriend for like two, three years. And then after we broke up, I just focused on, you know, graduating. And um, whether it's at the time on the online rise of internet dating, but DC, I mean, was the perfect, if I had to date anywhere else, I don't know how my experience would be, but I had a blast dating in DC. And the funny thing is, is that actually DC was the first time I ever dated uh, a white person. Um, and I've been on a few dates. Actually, I think it was like 
two, three days with like white guys, um, black guys, uh, even like a Chinese guy. So I had the experience of kind of being an equal opportunity, you know, player in the dating field in a sense. And then when I came over to the UK, it was the same thing. It was weird though, because when it came to white guys and it was kind of the same in the States, like everyone was like, Oh, I'm white. Um, would you date me or would that be a problem? And they'd be like, don't lead on your skin color. Like it's not a thing. Or, you know, you kind of get like the ones that fetishize you like, Oh, hi chocolate instantly ignore. But because as I said, London was quite diverse in itself it wasn't an issue and even if you go further afield like it's not if you are attractive I don't see dating being an issue at all um now in terms of who reached out to me more it was it was equal like I had black guys I had white guys I had Indian guys I mean it just I, I didn't I'm, I didn't have a problem. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Imagine an Indian guy trying to pick up a Nigerian girl. It's crazy. I'm so, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, man over here, like some of them have, some of them are, are bold, not bold, but because if you live in the same, do you know, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not as segregated as many think. Like a lot of the, a lot of people grew up together from, from like, nursery all the way up so it's not like a massive big thing now obviously you have cultural differences like going on a date with a person and dating somebody is completely different right right it's completely different so of course like i can't necessarily see myself dating an indian person because i already know a lot of them them family yeah um it's a bit of a i don't need that stress because there's a lot of anti-blackness in a lot of Indian families and even Asian families. So I don't need that type of stress, but if it's just a hi, can we go out for dinner or can we go to movies or, you know, can we go out for a drink kind of thing? A lot of people are very open to it. Now I dated in DC in 2011 that was the last time I was on the dating scene and I was only on the dating scene for a year so I don't have you know a plethora of experiences um and neither do I have in the UK because I didn't you know I didn't really date a whole lot I did date I didn't like go on to town but I just think if you're attractive and you know if you're an attractive person people are interested now going on dates and then actually dating, that's completely different. Right. But men are men. <laughs> so we can go into a whole whole host of reasons why things work out and why things don't. Um, but personally, for me, I haven't necessarily seen a difference. Now, when it comes to how much, like what type of dates you go on and how much money people spend, it all depends on how you screen your guys because there's cheap guys white and black states in the uk and vice versa you have them ones that want to netflix and chill you have them ones that won't go on a coffee date you have them ones you know who can't pay for their bill i mean there's loads but so so let me let me let me i gotta jump in here on that point right yeah 
at this stage of my life, I am not an expensive dater. No, I'm not broke. I'm not poor. But I'm. Did you see? Did you see that whole thing on um, Twitter where it was like, and I don't. I think it was massive here. I don't know if it was in the states about if you don't pay two hundred pound for a date, like there's no point. Yeah, like I said, so the, so I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't fare well in the UK then because I'm like, hey, look, if I'm gonna date five or six different women, uh, throughout. I don't know the, the four week period, and, mm. I, and, and or seven or 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 three months period, and we're going on several dates. Yo, like I'm an accountant, you know. I'm like, this is not fiscally responsible for me, <laughs> you know. No, but this is what I'm saying. Don't let stuff like that fool you because people say one thing and do another. You'll have people, yeah, who be like, oh yeah, I need to be taken to the shard, um, and I need to be taken here, and then. They see a guy that they like, and the guy's like, yeah, let's go to Nando's. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 let's go to Nando's. That's the craziest thing. <laughs> Nando's in the United States is not a poor restaurant. But in the, U- is it not? In the UK, people act like going to Yando- Nando's is like going to McDonald's. It's not like going to McDonald's, but it's not expensive, you know? Like, if I, it's like... If I, took a girl, like- <laughs> if I took a girl to Nando's in the US, I would expect a thank you. Really? It's not an expense. Right. So do you know how I think Nando's is? I feel like Nando's is like Cheddar's, you know? Like, and to be fair, if a guy took me out to Cheddar's, yeah, like, I'm not even going to lie. I would I would rate that a good day because I love Cheddar's. I've, anytime I go back home, my mom always takes me to Cheddar's. Like, she already knows. But that's how I equate Nando's to. Cheddar's is not a, it's, it's not a bad date. Cheddar is not, and the price is decent, you know. That's how Nando's is. Like, you can go out to Nando's and pay, pay like a good 30 pounds, and then you're full. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a, a completely different conversation. Because I, I don't, I don't, I want to, I want to keep this on blacks in the UK. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to um, talk about the cost of dating a woman <laughs> and, the per- <laughs> and the perception of a guy who doesn't spend enough money so uh, i'll leave that for another podcast yeah please don't for guys out here who's listening please don't be a cheap date <laughs> i'm not saying to spend all your peas like i'm not saying that but huh, i mean yeah just don't be that guy who's who's cheap cheap and now that's why you have to screen the people that you're taking on dates like because if you're trying to cash the net and go four or five dates is it necessary but Anyways, if you guys want to hear more about that shameless plug, go and listen to my podcast, Let's Chat, because I talk about dating and relationships all the time, and I will be having Tolu on there soon. Yeah, we're going to talk, was, we're, we're going to talk to yeah. specifically about this nan- yes. Nando's and yes. Cheddar's <laughs> and fiscally... What qualifies as a good date and, and how much money should a guy spend on a date? It's fiscally yeah. responsible dating. <laughs> Do you think a girl should pay for a date? I didn't say a girl should pay for a date. All right. I, now I'm asking. Some guys are like, nah, she needs to, needs to go half. Right. I'm just saying that, you know, if, you, if y'all going to judge me on my dating expenditures, if I know that going in, then I'll just come and say, hey, y'all just going to have to judge me then. <laughs> like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> like go, go date Prince William or something, you know? But but, mm. but no but no yeah. but no let, yeah. let me, um but again I'm being fiscally responsible because I mean e- economic times are hard right now for a lot of people you know yeah so, you know yeah. the, the COVID nineteen 
But that's the thing is, I feel like a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on spending money because it's lack of creativity on dates. Do you know what I mean? If you're just used to just going down, sitting down and eating, of course, like, of course, like if I'm going to sit down and eat, then of course, I don't want to, you know, feel like you haven't put in the effort. But a lot of people don't want to ex- expand. So, what out. if you guys just like each other? Y'all just want to hang out on the beach or something? Like, just. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with hanging out on the beach. Bring food, of course, because you're going to be sat out there. You need to eat. But, like, even if it's stuff that you both like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about the people who cannot stretch themselves other than cinema, Netflix, and chill and sit down at a restaurant. You can go hiking, you know. You can go and explore your city, your neighborhood, your stuff like that. But because people are so used to putting value on where you know, they're taking out on dates to, to, like, sit down and eat, then, yeah, everyone thinks, like, all right, then, like, my value is not going to be equated to $20, $30. Like, nah, my makeup costs more than that. This outfit costs more than that. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I hear you. So it's, it's just trying to get out of that, out of that sentiment of I want to get to know you, but I don't want it to come across cheap, like, you know, that you're not worth putting money towards. So let's switch it up. That's why people get offended when they're like, okay, well, I'm going to take you out on a coffee date. Okay, there's nothing wrong with the coffee date, but could we not do the same thing and do something more fun and feel like it has added more value than, you know, five, $10 coffee, $6 coffee? Like, baby, somebody got shot last week. Let's go out and solve a murder. That's going to be our date. No, I'm kidding. What? <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> No, all right, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna end it there because I was gonna talk about no. um, gender divides and st- stuff okay. like that, but we're gonna talk about that on your podcast. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So, on that note, this has been an excellent conversation with Jen. Do you have a? Do you have a? What's your personality? What's your name, Jen? What is it, Jenny B? You know what I mean. No, so I have so many nicknames. Um, a lot. My well-known nickname is Jeno, but nobody really calls me that unless you really know me like that. Um, it's just Jen. Like, um, there's nothing added to it. Like, it's just Jen. People try to add stuff to it, like Jen. No, just call me Jen. Um, if you want to follow me on social, you can follow me at Living Life Jen. Um, but yeah. I'm just Jen. Cool. All right. So I'm going to refer to you as it's just Jen. <laughs> so thank you for being on the podcast. This is a, this was a great conversation. I've learned. I hope people out there have learned and see you guys next time. Big up. Thank you for having me. Big up the man. Big up the man. <laughs> damn you out, out London. <laughs> All right.